welcome to the second episode of the second season of So You Want to Get Sober. I'm Mel, and today I have a probably one of the top people in my life. I was going to say top three, and then I started thinking about all the people who would be like, what the fuck? Why am I not in your top three? And dad is. I have my dad. My dad's here today, as promised. Um, you know, I had a couple friends reach out once I posted that I would be having my dad on this season being like, LOL, it's going to be so funny because they think of my dad as absolutely hilarious. And we've always had a very uh, humor filled relationship. Um, but the topic of addiction and recovery and alcoholism is is very serious. So you know, I just, I don't want people to think that just because our, our relationship has had so much love humor, there's also been so much, I wouldn't say destruction, but just sadness, sadness and heartbreak, um, that I, I, I just kind of want to discuss it with you. The point in having my dad on the podcast today, um, I think it's important to hear from someone who obviously, you know, loves me very much to kind of get their idea of what it's like to, to watch someone that you created fall into addiction and, and alcoholism, because I've gotten so many DMS of people being like, I don't know how to help my brother. I don't know how to help, you know, my sister, my boyfriend, whatever. Um, so I thought it would just be good to see someone who was there firsthand. I mean, I can think of a bunch of circumstances that I would like to know how you were feeling. One thing I will say about my dad is that he's very calm, cool, and collected when shit's hitting the fan. Um, I always joke that like whenever he would get mad at me, he would just talk to me in a very stern voice like, Melanie, you need to be able to do better. Don't sneak out of that window because you need to graduate school. I don't know. It scared the absolute shit out of me instead of him yelling. Um, so yeah, without further ado, this is dad. Dad, do you want to just, I don't know, maybe start off by saying what, what was it like in the beginning, right? I mean, I'm sure you must've had some inklings prior, but once things started really sh hitting the fan um, and maybe it even happened before I was, God, was I 23? Before I was 23 and I went to rehab and stuff. Like, I just love to hear when your eyes started opening and what you were feeling and thinking and how you were reacting. Yes, it's your turn to speak. I would say you were 12, which is when a lot of things start coming up in people's personalities, behavior, and whatnot. Um, not that you were doing anything at the time that was blatant. It was very sublime. Some of your behaviors, the people you're hanging out with, um, that kind of thing. And that progressed over years to finding a bottle of alcohol in the closet or under the bed, you know, that kind of thing in and of itself was not a case or cause for alarm. You're a teenager. Yeah. My parents caught me with a six pack of beer. I hid it under the floorboards of my bed. And my father tried to ground me, but 
grandma told him that I was 35 by the time they found it. Uh, there was nothing he could do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, a couple of big things happened. And one of them was when we put you on that outward bound trip uh, when you were 14, I think. And uh, you've had these little breaks. And, and before I go any further, um, I, I want to make it very clear. I know I've told this to you before, but I think your um, followers uh, should understand that I believed in you from the day that you were born. I knew that you were somebody special. I knew that you had talents and abilities that I would never be able to have. And you hadn't even talked yet. So through all this, every step you took back, I still believed in you. I'll believe in you until I take my last breath. So when you came back from that, I asked you what it was you wanted to do. You said you wanted to go to, to college. So I said, okay, well, you know, let's, let's work on that. And we also talked about some of your behaviors at the time and modifying them. You know, obviously, uh, you know, the alcohol part never stopped, but other things that would have maybe played into a, a allowing alcohol to play a deeper role, destructive role in your life at the time, I truly believe you stopped some of that stuff. And you started hanging out with different people. Uh, you, you gave yourself a purpose, even though it was at that point getting enough grades and whatnot to go to college. I hung out the little carrot of you know getting you a car. Uh, you know, once you did all that, and you did it all, you got it all um, done. And I bought you that beautiful used cheap Toyota Camry that you proceeded to destroy constantly over the next few years. I would like to point out that I have the card that you wrote me. I think I was like 14 or 15. It was for Valentine's Day. Um, my dad would always give me like a card on special, special days. And I still have it to the day because all it says is I believe in you. And it's literally in the box over there. I used to hang it on my wall. So I, it's clear. It's clear that that's what you thought. But I'm sorry. I interrupted. Keep going. You bought me the car. I trashed it. You got through college. And, uh, you know, got a job, et cetera, et cetera. And um, you've sailed, you know, since then. But the alcoholism got to a point with you where, and unbeknownst to, to, you know, your parents, we had no idea it had progressed that far. And you know, to give you the credit that you deserve, you came to us and you said, I don't want to die. And that's, those are great words for a parent to hear from their child when they're in deep shit, so to speak. So, um, but whether you did or didn't care, wasn't going to change the way that, that um, you know, we, we would have approached it and supported you and you know, got you the help that, that uh, we thought that you needed, most of which you did on your own. And, uh, you know, I will say, 
I guess I, I don't know myself well enough to, to contemplate, well, what if you had feel? What if uh, you didn't care if you died? What if you've been in a rehab facility and facilities and, and had failure upon failure and, and were quite ill from it all? I don't know. I'm not sure. All I know is I've been blessed um, by having you in my life. And that is the path that you and your parents took together where you, to get you to where you're at right now. Again, giving you the credit for doing all the work yourself. It's all really we've just done is supported you and loved you and, and uh, you know, let you know that, that you're, you're valued and important and deserve yeah. a good life. And like when I, I think a lot of me wanting to hold on to the drinking too was like, I got this. Like I've been set up for success. Why can't I just show up to work and get stuff done and come back and have eight glasses of water and not wine? Like I have had the privilege to get to where I'm at, right? And like I have the privilege of having supportive parents. Um throughout all of this, you've never, you've never told me, fuck you, get it together. Um, I think the only thing that I've felt is just the fear of, of hurting you, which I know there's no way to not be hurting people in this, in this process, but, um, there's just been unconditional love and support. So, I mean, I guess I'd, I am very lucky in, in, in that I have had people who, have supported and pushed me along in this process and honestly have been looking out and looking at the signs for a very long time. Um, like what would you have to say to the people who don't have that support and, you know, are trudging it completely on their own? Maybe they're homeless and they don't have someone to help them get to rehab. Um, what words of support or encouragement would you say to them if they don't have a dad that's telling them that they love them and that this isn't, their fault and that they can get help and be better. That's a really good question. You can think about it too. Yeah. Um, if I had to say anything to them, I, I, I would start off by, by telling them, sorry, I'm sorry that, that this happened to you and that you've found yourself in this place at this um, level of hurt and pain and, and, and a disease that you have no control over about getting it, that there's nothing there for you. That would be a terrible, terrible feeling, deep, dark place to be. And uh, I, know I, I have some lifelong friends that uh, are in recovery. And, uh, you know, they were some of the ones I called at the very beginning when when you know you, you had decided you wanted to go into rehab, you know, start start on the path to correct this or to change it uh, in a different direction, and I called every one of them, and uh, some of them uh, are alcoholics themselves. Uh, some of them uh, lost uh, children to suicide uh, because of drugs and addiction, and you know. All of them told me the same thing is uh, just love her. Do what you're doing. 
There's nothing else you can do. And I don't know, can you love someone that, that uh, uh, has nobody or nothing to support them? I just can't imagine a deeper, darker place, sad place for a human being and not have anybody there for them. Well, I can tell you where the place is. Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> it's true. I mean, that's where people go and get love until they're able to love themselves. And um, I'm very fortunate and probably one of very few people who have had cheerleaders on the side, you know? Um, I'm not going through a divorce. I don't have children to look after. Um, I would love to know. So I, I wanted to kill myself. I, I didn't know. I knew I didn't want to live. And I knew, I knew that I didn't want to live the way that I was living because I just, I hated myself. I hated myself so deeply. And I mean, instead of just acting on it, I think I, you know, I called mom. It was just terrifying. But what was it like? What I didn't say to the people when I got to the hospital is, oh, I've been drinking because I guess in my mind, I just didn't think they would check for that. And we weren't even like in a room. They just had me on the side of the ER, um, like in a gurney. And the nurse had asked you to go away for a second. And he came back and said, like, your blood alcohol content is just absurdly high. Like, do you want to tell him or should I? And that was like the first time that I had fully admitted that like I needed serious help. So I'm like, what were you, what was going through your head? You were so calm. Like (laughs) kudos to you, you know, but I'd love to know what was like, what was going through your, your head. It was a part of me that was not surprised at all. It was another part of me that, um, was you know, deeply concerned, afraid. And the other part of me was, uh, you know, the part that, like you said, sat calmly there on the, on the bed, held your hand and, and said, okay, well, you know, we, then we need to do something about this, but you're the one that's going to have to do the work. You're the one that's going to have to help yourself. I remember telling you that. Yeah. And uh yeah, it was I know it was hard for you to tell me. And you seem to be um embarrassed about it. And that's not what I wanted you to be at all. I just wanted you to be authentic and and come to, to grips with you know the place that you had gotten to laying on a gurney in a hallway in an ER not being able to get the help that you needed because your blood alcohol was too high. Yeah. For those listening, like they would come and they came and they take your blood, which I didn't think they would do. (laughs) And, um, and then they, they would come and check like every two hours, three hours. And it would still be so high until God, I don't know. 7 a.m. The next morning was finally when I was able to go into an actual room and get evaluated by a psych psychiatrist and got in there at maybe like seven in the after in the evening so yeah oh my god I was so embarrassed so embarrassed just terrified um I I mean I was it's crazy to look at this now I'm like blasting my story on 
to the world. Because uh, I hated myself. I was just so... I was so shocked that like the secret was out. Because I knew. like I knew I was an alcoholic. But I was just like, I can manage it. And I just wasn't able to manage it anymore. Even after. Even afterwards. like I tried until that one day where I just... Um, I tried, but I wasn't able to stay sober. And then I just hit my knees and was like, I need to go to rehab. Um, and that was during your, you had retired. You had retired. Which is something I always beat myself up about. I was like, oh, oh my God. Instead of supporting my dad of his, what, 25, 26 years of flying, I was in rehab. So how do like, how do you feel? I don't know when your friends ask you like, Oh, how's Melanie doing? Cause I feel like a lot of people, I made amends to someone and they were like, Oh, like, they weren't even shocked that I needed to make amends or that I was an alcoholic, but they were like, Oh my God, you went to rehab. Like what's, you know, it must be so severe. I'm like, well, no shit. It's so severe, but like, it's not, I look back and I'm like, everybody should go to rehab, which is so funny. Cause my sponsor was like, why do you have anything against rehab? And I was like, well, then it means it's serious. <laughs> She's like, it's already serious. <laughs> so like, what do you, what do you say when your friends are shocked? Do, do you, yeah. Like for people who don't give you the reaction of like, Oh, I'm so glad she's doing better. Like, what do you say? I'm, I'm very lucky in the, the people have that have in my life that have chosen, uh, you know, to associate with me in different levels of friendship. And we all have, what, 40, 40 more years on this planet than, you know, people your age. So we've experienced good things and bad things together. As I said, you know, a couple of my friends, they lost their children to, uh, to suicide. Um, some of my friends are, are uh, in re have been in recovery for a long time. Um, and, and actually, those people were the hardest ones to talk to about. Uh, everybody else, uh, un they just seemed to understand. And they had uh, empathy and understanding. And uh, they weren't silent. And they made a conscious decision as time went by uh, to ask about you every time that I would see them. How's Melanie doing? How's she doing? What's going on with her? What so when you say like the the ones who were in recovery were the hardest to talk to was it because they were like you're fucked until she decides to take care of this herself or like what was what was so hard about it? What was so hard about it is uh, my life was thrown into it with you, and uh, you know I I, I I would I'm far I would far from calling myself helpless, but you know you have to come to grips pretty quickly with the tiny, tiny bits that you can control because 99 point something percent of the rest of it, you just can't. And I knew I was talking to people that had been through much, 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 much worse. And I saw how just, you know, my child well, didn't want to die wanted to help herself, willing to do the work, got to it right away, came out of rehab successfully. I could go on and on and on with kudos here. 
that was not the same with these people. Yeah. And you know, the what they went through was, uh, oh, I'm sorry, what I went through was a minuscule percentage of a small fraction of what they went through. So yeah, it was hard talking to them. It gave me a better awareness of, of what their lives had actually been like. Do you want to know what actually, I was sitting in the bathtub and one of the things that got me to call mom that something was wrong was you said one of one of our one of our friends had their kid kill themselves and you said i just want to tell you that if any like nothing is that bad like nothing can't be fixed for you to make that decision and this was before any of this it was like 5 years before and i was like okay there has there has to be something else you know like i don't just have to go down that path of darkness um, that, I mean, that resonated with me and you're right. I mean, I think a lot of the aspects of the pain and the fear can be pretty correlated across the board, you know, but the results are absolutely different. I pray I don't ever have to go to rehab again, you know? Um, what did you feel like after you were one of the first people I sobbed to my home group and then I told Will and then I told you that I had relapsed on Oxy or Norcos. What, what were you feeling? What were you thinking? Honestly, I, uh, I wasn't really thinking anything bad. You know, I, again, you know, the, the, the life's experiences um, taught me a lot of lessons. And I've seen a lot of things. but. Uh, you you were very good at telling me the story, what was behind all of it. And, you know, it's kind of hard to repeat that, what happened, you know, ever again in, in your life. Um, you know, that and some other things um, and how you were reacting to it. And searching for answers to yourself. And to me, it was just, it was just very easy to say, you know, hey, it's okay. All right. You know, you made a mistake. You didn't get drunk and go out and hit somebody in a car or uh, whatever. You did it and you immediately, uh, you know, came out with it, told everybody. Yeah. And then I'm, I don't think I've ever asked you, but I'm absolutely convinced that everybody probably had the same response that I did. You know, try to get back on on it again, right? So you restart the clock. Okay, I've, I've taken plenty of steps back in my life, you know, different types, but just as painful and disappointing. But I was lucky; I was able to get back up, stand on my feet, and, and take a nick another step down the, the path of life that I was choosing for myself. Yeah. Not what I've had people reach out and be like, Oh my God, I've relapsed for a couple of weeks now and haven't been able to tell anyone because I'm so ashamed. And it's like, I get that. I totally get that. 
I, that I was for the 24 hours that I'd sworn to myself that I was going to take it to my grave. I mean, it was emotionally exhausting. I was throwing up cause I was just so just dismayed with myself, but it's like, I, there's no way that I would. I'm so grateful that I made it back alive because so many people don't, but I'm so glad that I had that happen to me because it opened my eyes to all the other shit that was going wrong in my life um, that I needed to fix, you know? Um, and I told you I needed to go on leave and you were super supportive of that. You and your wife, I won't say her name. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you, um, again, you know, you, you, uh, you know, you laid out a, a plan for yourself that was in, you know, a positive direction in a direction of, of self-care and healing and recovery and, and work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what, what's there not to support there? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to imagine a person out there <laughs> telling their, their child, Hey, you're doing everything right. Going in the right direction. Yeah. I'm pulling the rug off from underneath you. You know, maybe there are, I don't know, but um, it wasn't difficult. That was not a difficult decision at all. That was pretty straightforward. And scoot forward to today. Um, you know, I have you know people my age. They they run into you. You contact them, whatever. And everybody just is uh, really really happy to report back to me in a very positive positive way. Good things about you, which of course I take hundred percent credit for. You made this good parts, bad parts, all of it. I'm half you, man. Um, yeah, I mean, alcoholism and addiction definitely runs in our family too, on both sides. On both sides. Yeah. 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 You know, I had uh, I chose a career that there was this zero tolerance. Or certainly for for uh, you know drugs, definitely that. And and uh, you know while you're working, you know obviously alcohol as well. And uh, it's you know one of the few jobs you know, that that people in this country can get where they can just walk up at you anytime and say, "Hey, breathe into this. You know, we're gonna get you take go pee in this bottle, et cetera, et cetera." So I don't know. I don't know if that played a bit big factor in me steering away, uh, you know, from all that stuff. Uh, but there are people in the family, like you said, on both sides that, uh, you don't have issues with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, is there any advice you would give to someone whose loved one is in an active addiction? Absolutely. The, the one clear message I got from all the people I talked to, and it was quite the, the bell-shaped curve of, of uh, people, you know, from every angle with addiction you could possibly imagine. But clearly the message was just love them. Because with, without that, there's no foundation. Or everything else 
that goes along uh, with recovery. That's just that's just who I think we are as a species on this planet. <laughs> he just saw his half naked wife behind him and got excited and distracted. I was not expecting that. <laughs> um, I, I don't know one person that would refute that. So it's hard. That's what I would tell them. I would tell them that too. You know, it's hard. It really is hard, but not as hard as what they're going through. Yeah. I mean, it's also different too, right? Like you, I'm, I went to rehab once, you know, it's not like I'm, I, I made this, you can't make someone go and get sober. Like no matter what, no matter who you are, like sometimes it does push them in the rooms, but if they don't want to, like it just won't happen. And so you have, I don't know, your kid who's stealing from you, breaking into your house has tried to get sober 20 times, like in and out of rehab. What would you say to them? Like same advice? I have talked to people like that. I've known people that have had to go through that. And, you know, I've, I've known those people for a long time and I, I knew them and their situations before you went to rehab. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to watch a bunch of little baby chicks hatch running around, pecking in the ground. But when that chick is yours, it puts a whole different light on it. So I would, I honestly would tell them, don't ever give up. Don't stop believing in them. You know, there's, there's a part of them. There's something in there that, that, that they don't want to be this way as small as it is for you it's big it's a big part of you that didn't want to be that way and uh, obviously I've traveled all over the world and I've I've seen addicts all over the world and I've talked to a lot of them even when I didn't speak their own language and, and it's all the same it's all the same everywhere there's no difference between yeah. a person here or a person in Mongolia, wherever. It's all the same. And they were brought onto this planet by two people. There were people before them and people before them and people before them. So somebody out there at some point in time cared about them. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay, maybe on to a, yeah, I guess a happier note. I think like one, I think I have something that has been coming to mind recently for me is you, you have always been there. I think, I think I was one to just point fingers and blame and, uh, it's very clear to me how much you have always loved me and supported me throughout my entire life. Um, and I'm just so grateful. I don't know. I mean, it's, 
I think for a long time, I like had this idea in my head that like, oh my God, my dad doesn't love me. And that's just not the case. You know, I think that's my own projection and getting sober has really opened my eyes to that. Um, so yeah, I'm just really grateful. Um, what are some of the most beautiful things you have seen come out of my recovery, my own recovery? Well, I would say that the highlight and a beautiful thing is me talking to you on this Zoom meeting right now. You know, you're talking about the things that we're talking about, which comes from the, the tendril of honesty and you being honest with yourself and everything around you. And that, that's a beautiful thing for me. And I know I've told you this. Um, I certainly had my issues when I was, you know, 20s, 30s. It took me a while to, to be able to look at myself in the mirror and go, okay, all right. Yeah, I'd be your friend. Not because of drugs, not because of alcohol or these, these, uh, mistakes you know that i was making so it, it warms my heart see you doing your own thing looking at looking at yourself in the mirror so to speak decades earlier than i did and that's just awesome that, that you can start to live authentic life and do the best you can none of us are perfect that's for sure and try to make the best choices for yourself with everything and you know you've you know me you've seen where I'm at in life um, I've, I've got these solid friends that I've known for almost 55 years I've known these men and almost just as long you know their wives and, and uh, some of these other people young people from college same thing my college roommate uh, and that's just a great place to be later that, that you've had solid connection with these people no one's ever done any one of the other to the other people. There's been no harm, nothing done behind their back, no mistreatment, no lies, just warm, genuine love and care. And you being able to do that, start that even earlier um, than I did, uh, is awesome. I had to make the reconnections. Sure, I knew these people when I was a young teenager, but you know, it took a long time for me to go back and reconnect and, and start uh, genuine, being genuine in, in friendship. I think you're very genuine to yourself and, and those around you. Yeah. And that's just one beautiful thing. 
you know, how you talk and communicate to people. Um, you know, very open and honest, clean, pure. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think it was like, I want to go back. It wasn't that I, I had never questioned that you loved me. I remember being like drunk in a bar being like, are you mad at me when I was not doing well? And I think it was just like me constantly seeking for someone to like validate that I was worthy of blank. Um, why am I forgetting the word proud? That is the word proud. And it's because I couldn't be proud of myself. Now it's like these old like wounds that I thought I carried is really just like, of course your dad loves you. Of course your dad's proud of you. I don't even like second guess it anymore, you know, but I'm proud of me now. Like there's not really an inch of my body. That's like, you're a shitty person, you know? I mean, we were talking the other day. It's like, yeah, I made a mistake on Friday. I shouldn't have, I, I wish I would have acted differently and I made amends to it. You know, it's not like I hate myself for it. Um, so I feel like it's just deepened my, my relationship with you in terms of like a, a, being able to really see how deeply you have always been there for me. Um, which I don't think I would have gotten had I not gotten sober. You know, a lot of these things, it was just projections of me. Um, and now I just get to show up. I just get to show up and I don't know, it's different. It feels easy, easy and different. And there's, yeah, easy and different. I can tell, you know, you, um, Instead of uh, tiptoeing through a minefield and dancing on the on the precipice of of the path of life, you're gliding along. You've got some good good thermals. You know, that are holding your wings up to let you, sorry, I'm a pilot. I'm going with the pilot thing here. And, uh, yeah, you're just, it's great. You know, when you feel like you got to take a break, you'll circle and figure it out and then, and then keep going again. Yeah. I'm hoping that there's a, uh, you know, decades left here, uh, for me to, to share our, lives together and uh, I just don't life is life there's ups and downs but I just see your you know your overall projection up up in a good way yeah yeah me too (laughs) I'm like I'm just exploring more of myself it's been pretty awesome you know going to the energy medicine school it's just like there's so much opportunity I feel like I have so much opportunity now to just continue exploring me I didn't even I two years ago I didn't even know who I was I still don't really know but I'm just like putting in the footwork to try and figure it out well one of the things that you did to really help yourself out it took a while 
and it yeah. was very frustrating was you know figuring out the disease process how it's affected you physiologically oh, and yeah. being able to get the correct medical attention that you needed oh yeah and you know i i still tend to agree with um that one doctor who said hey you were you were doing this pretty seriously for a long time. Your body's still detoxifying. And that was a year after you stopped drinking. And you know, she said it could take more time than that, often, for everything to go away, you know. Which would... Well, I mean, it, yes. And I think that I had underlying mental health issues that have gone undetected because I've been coping with alcohol for, what, 10, 15 years, you know? And, like, getting that on track has been a game changer, a game changer. Um, And working with a functional medicine doctor. But, yeah, I agree. I remember being, like, so pissed. I felt like I wasn't heard. I felt like I wasn't heard. And, um, when my primary care doctor was like certain it was lupus, I was just, I I was stoked to have lupus because it meant I had an answer for why I felt, I thought I felt like I was dying. Um, and now, I mean, I'm so glad I don't, of course, good God, but, um, you know, uh, I I had the opportunity to kind of catch the dis-ease before this had completely blown up you know like i can i can still reverse it which is what i'm doing and things are better you know not perfect but better so Huge yeah difference. just just the uh uh you know, daily energy the energy you wake up with and then what's lower left over at the end of the day you, you'd wake up with nothing and at the end of the day there was even less yeah, it's not the same now at all. Yeah. I know. Will was like, how was it when I went over? Probably, probably can't hear me when I go back that far. Will said, how was it? And I said, I... There were times that I would like come over to your house and I would feel so uncomfortable in my body and so anxious that it was hard for me to even like look you in the eye or interact with my own dad. Um, and I was like, I just... I was just present. Like nothing was really going through my head. I didn't have to like contort my body to be in the space of someone else, you know, which sounds very like a silly thing to be excited about, but it was just so different. It's totally different now that I'm not in that awful mental and physical space, physical space in my body. Yeah. Noticeable. Yeah. Definitely noticeable. I, I agree. Ease. It is ease. It is the opposite of dis-ease. It was ease. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's been a friggin' journey. Okay, what else do I have to ask you? I think that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, what do you like most about our relationship these days? And then I'll, we'll let you go to your half-naked wife. <laughs> hey! <laughs> uh, Everything. There's nothing I don't like. Well, I didn't like you taking all my quarters the other night because you had to wash your clothes. It's a freaking quarter shortage, man. What am I supposed yeah, to do? Had no clue. No idea there was a quarter shortage. Um, look, 
you don't, we don't, you and I do not have to physically be in each other's presence to experience each other and feel each other and understand each other and love each other and get what we need out of, you know, the relationship that we have as a uh, father and daughter. Um, I really appreciate your um, openness to talk to me, um, ask for, uh, you know, suggestions, ideas, advice, whatever, whether you take it or not, you know, you're asking. Yeah. Um, you know, I appreciate that. And, and clearly, uh, you love your dad and that's all dads really want for their kids to, to love them. But when you turn into a, an adult, Hey, it was easy when you were three or four, um, you know, pull my finger. That was one of your favorites cool. and, uh, you know, easy to keep you entertained. Well, things go on through life. What's entertainment certainly changes. And, um, we just seem to have a good connection. Uh, I appreciate that, you know, very much. I don't want to do anything to, you know, to screw that up. But on the other hand, I'll always be honest with you too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you've ever really been dishonest with me. I, I didn't see the point. And there was nothing to be dishonest about. I mean, I haven't robbed banks or anything like that. Sorry, I got to leave the country real quick. Seeing in five to 10 years. I still want to know if Chuck Kenyon is real, though. Oh, Chuck Kenyon was so real. Do you want to tell them who Chuck Kenyon is? Yeah, Chuck Kenyon was my uh, arch enemy in the fifth and sixth grade. Where my father was in the military, we were living down in the Panama Canal. And uh, Chuck, if you're out there, let's make amends, buddy. Really? Oh. Talk about, especially the day that you threw rocks at me after I made fun of you holding Sandy Schick's hand. That was totally wrong of me. Totally wrong. Hey, man, what about when he told you what happens when your parents have SEX? Oh, yeah. Is that that even forgivable? I don't know, Chuck Kenyon. I, I might have to say a big screw you. And that was at a Boy Scout camp out. And he told me that around the campfire. And when he explained to me how I was made, uh, of course, I have said, no, no, there's a stork that comes. You're in a little diaper. They put you down by the door. He goes, you know, you're a fool. Your father, blankety blank to your, and he never got the rest out of his mouth because my fist hit him in his face. <laughs> and we both rolled across the fire. I think his socks caught on fire. Scoutmaster jumped up, pulled us apart. And, uh, you know, screaming at us. And, and I told the scoutmaster, he just told me, listen, this disgusting thing. He just told me that my dad did this to my mom. And that's how I was made looking for (laughs) scoutmaster, looking for support from him. And I got the biggest eye roll of my life. So he just said, both of you go to bed, but he made a phone call to grandma, uh, before I got home from the trip. And he said, "Uh, look, he's 12 years old. You better explain these things to him. If you don't. So, uh, okay. Sorry, Chuck. You were right. Sorry, Chuck. You were right. Well, um, thank you for taking the time. This has been an hour. 
And I love you. I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's, um, I have a lot of heartache for the people who don't, that don't have this. I mean, that don't have the support. Like I'm, I just, I'm so lucky and it's so apparent that I am very lucky to be here a on this planet and B with people who like can back me up. You know, I do know that anyone can find that in AA, but it's, it's, a. Uh, I mean, whatever extra cushion and support you can get from the people around you is, is, um, yeah, it's a dream. So I love you. And thank you for always loving me. And, um, I'm excited to, for you to like meet my grandkids later on. The other day I was like, what do people with newborns eat? Like, what is, what are they so busy with? All the kid does is like eat, sleep and poop. Like, what is the big deal? And mom looked at me and she was like, I'm going to tell you that when you have your, your one out of three children, (laughs) I'll remind you. So cool. Well, thank you. Thank you, sweetheart. You're the best. Okay, love you. Love you too.